friends, and we're all here. Yes. Gathered as we are. <clears throat> gathered just, as we are. Just met. We just met. Um, we just got back yeah. from the Met. Oh, yeah, we did go see the all the art. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I saw, um, saw like a painting of a vagina. Oh, yeah. But it was a flower. Oh, gross. Yeah, it was like, um, I think it was like, it's like one of those like magic eye things. Like you look at it one way, you're like, oh, it's a flower. You kind of like look at it another way, you're like, whoa, that's a fucking, fucking snatch. <laughs> you know? It's a schooner. Yeah, we all met at the Met. Um, and live from New York, it's, it's a raincoat report. It's, it's Georgia <laughs> O'Keefe. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, welcome to the Raincoat Report. This is Boss here with Jeremy and special guest Tyler. Yeah, he uh, literally, he popped in like between recordings, so now he's uh, he's a guest. Oh, yeah. It's going to pop. Is that the <laughs> yeah. one you wanted, or you want this one? I wanted the pop. Thank okay, you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, but he's he's here. He's popping. He's just... Uh, um, yeah, I escaped. He's over. <clears throat> I was like, from um, the Planet of the Apes? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, the, the, the subterranean Planet of the Apes? Oh yeah, beneath the planet yeah, of the apes, where the Morlocks are different too. Yeah, they would. <laughs> the Morlocks would have also evolved from apes. They would be uh, lemurs. Oh yeah, I love lemurs. <laughs> <laughs> Little lemur action. Yeah, they live at night. They become limlocks. <laughs> they come at night. Yeah, they do. They mostly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's back. We're back. Franco, February. Yeah. All right, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what button to hit. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this week we're doing... What are we doing? Jesus? Uh, th- this no. week we're talking about Jesus Franco's... Oh, yeah, that is his, that is his name. Sorry. Uh, film from 1983, Night of Open Sex. We call him Jess around here. Yeah. My uh, daughter has a imaginary friend at this point called Jess. Oh, that would Is be it awesome if it was just a, uh, we'll sev- find out. Like a 76-year-old pervert. She sees a ghost <laughs> that nobody else sees, and it's Jess Franco sitting in a chair smoking and talking about sex. Does he have a lazy eye? I don't think he has a lazy eye. I feel like his eyes are oddly shaped, but he might not have a lazy eye. I just uh, He has those big, thick glasses. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a little small man in like a jacket, just smoking and talking about films to your daughter. <laughs> That's where she gets it all from. God, yeah. she's getting, it's just some weird stuff. Yeah, she's getting so big. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tyler, I have an unrelated question that came to mind. Um, have you ever found pornography out in the wild? Like, been walking through a wooded area and found pornography? We haven't found any yet in our many travels, but um, maybe a, as a child. I feel like I have. The only thing that really pops in my head right away is there was this, like, fabled in the lake of some some kids. Fabled na- in this, some, some lake in some kids' neighborhood I grew up, there was, like, a garbage bag of old pornos under a evergreen around the lake of the neighborhood. Oh. And... But I, I and I believe me, I urged every time I spent the night for theirs. Well, let's go find that bag of pornos. And yeah, they and I started to believe that it didn't exist. Oh. Yeah, that, that's fishy. That nobody was like, yeah, let's go look at porn. Why wouldn't yeah. anyone want to go find it? Did you I don't like, know. use a canoe to get out there? No, it was like in a sewer. Apparently, or no, like There's around a tree an evergreen. In the sewer? No, sorry, I was mixing up stories. Okay, um, it was close to a sewer. 
like outlet. The yeah, we, sewer was where the clown lived. Yes, <laughs> that's where the the killing lights was it called. I think that's what they said. So look for the, the killing de- lights. The dead lights. The dead lights. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I was just thinking about how I remember the early days of me looking at pornography was uh, finding found? old pornography that my stepdad threw away Yeah, because I was in charge of throwing away trash and I would ever so often see something on top of the trash and pull it out and look at it. Yeah. Just be like, oh, here's yeah, we some talked porno. To, yeah, we talked about the trash last episode. Yeah. What I, what I found in the trash, at least. Yeah. Have you ever used the claw side of a hammer to just destroy the drywall in a house looking for pornography? <laughs> no, 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 no. We'd like our fans to, but so far, no biting. But uh, Yes, we've asked of... uh, insistently a few times for our fans to do that. But you found some of your dad's old, like, uh, penthouses? Uh, yeah, it was, I don't know what magazine it was off the top of my head. It was definitely not Playboy. It was definitely Judge. nastier. Okay, nasty. Uh, I remember seeing uh, ads in the back about like uh, about uh, like phone sex lines and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember an ad about it was like a picture of a naked woman, and she looked all sweaty, and she was. It, it was something about make me come or something like that, and I was like, oh. Women come too, <laughs> and, and then like because she was super sweaty in the picture, I thought that maybe women secrete come out of their <laughs> pores. Like uh, that's beautiful. Holy Star Trek, Batman! Yeah, that's um, yeah, that'd be like some Cronenberg stuff. They just like secrete it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know in the glands. early days where you're a child and you don't really understand sex, it yeah. kind of feels like a Cronenbergian thing. <laughs> yeah, sex and biology are just kind of a nightmare. Yeah, all this hair. Do yeah. you ever call? It was either probably one nine hundred, one eight hundred, like hot buns, or uh, then you once you got <laughs> in, like, like hot cross buns. No, it was, just, oh. it was something to that effect. And then someone would tell you on the school bus, "Oh no, have you ever heard of this one?" And then it would basically you call to get another menu. It says. Put your credit card in, or one, two, three, do this. But at least you were, you could be at Applebee's and go, like, oh, dad, I'm dad, mom, I'm going to the bathroom. But you really just, gonna, you're going to call 1 800 hot buns or whatever. Is that what you did? I'm, oh, def, I, it was oh, Charlie's, actually. But, yeah, no, I understand. Oh, Charlie's is uh, it's classier than Applebee's. That's where you'd want to do most of your illicit <laughs> child phone sex. Uh, I remember back in the day, there was a point where oh, I, I can't remember if it was middle or I think it might have been high school. I don't know. I feel like by that time... You're 12. I can't remember when exactly it was, but I remember there being a payphone inside the school and me using it to call a phone sex line. (laughs) And on one occasion, being able somehow to get through past where it wanted you to enter the credit card... Like, just entering random shit somehow I got through. Mm-hmm. And, A, that may or may not be credit card fraud. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, but, B... Statute of limitations. Yeah, I think the statute of limitations is, is uh, expired by now, because mm-hmm. that was had to have been 20-plus years ago. <laughs> yeah, so it was, like, early to mid-90s. <laughs> uh, but, B, 
I was I, I remember just being like completely floored by it and as soon as somebody picked up I <laughs> <laughs> But also I remember when I was a bit younger uh probably late elementary or early middle school age me and a friend used a payphone to call the operator and ask her if vibrations made her horny <laughs> <laughs> and we did it like three times and then she was like well i'm gonna call the cops if you keep doing this and then we all hung up and like ran away (laughs) you must have just saw private parts or something maybe i bet it lines up with the time period yeah you definitely were influenced by the works of howard stern and the jerky boys (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we have fun we do have fun (laughs) and who else has fun why our old pal Jess Franco, he has a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and he it, invites us to come along with him, and we invite you to come along with us. Yes, and uh, this week we are going to join Jess in the Night of Open Sex from 1983, uh, where we will find several people that we found in last week's episode when we were talking about Sex is Crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film is a lot more decipherable than Sex is Crazy. Although, it's definitely Jess Franco, so, you know. Yeah. Look out. Look out. Um, watch it. That's why I'm going to look out. <laughs> that's why he needs to be the most cautious of us all. I'm going to bring it up the rear. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So, Yeah. Night of Open Sex is what we're talking about this week from 1983. So this is one of uh, Jess Franco's productions a couple years after uh, Sex is Crazy for Golden Films, where uh, they just kind of let him do whatever he wanted to do for a little bit. And uh, he cranked out, you know, probably a couple dozen films for him in that time frame. Sure. uh, Over the course of, you know, a few years. Yeah. And, uh... You know, this was a night of open sex. Uh, We see all of Jess Franco's tropes in action. The nightclubs. Yeah, the the stage shows. The uh, weird criminal plots that aren't quite decipherable at first, but ultimately kind of work their way out throughout a film, Uh, more or less. Torture. Torture, yes. And... uh, Torture. um, You like being tortured? No. Okay. Maybe on Patreon one week we can torture Tyler for an hour. Yeah. You, oh, Put let's do a, a, a tickle Patreon. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Being weird. I should have bought those books about tickle fantasy that I, oh, I sent. Yeah. yeah. I was at a, like a shop a couple weeks ago and I found like a series of books on uh, it's like someone's like erotic tickle fantasies or multiple volumes. Yeah, I mean, it's like like reading like uh, abduction by alien fantasies. It's the same yeah, thing. but it's just tickling. Yeah. They get tickled by aliens. I bet there is one. Oh man, <laughs> they've got such long, skinny fingers; they could get so deep with their tickles. And that one movie they pee out of their fingers. Which one? That third movie and that scary movie. Uh, scary movie three. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I saw that one. Well, we don't have the Tickle Fantasy book, but since we have uh, Letters to Penthouse 32 at the table, let me go ahead and just give a a small reading to our audience, a little taste. Okay. 
I was sure that my juices were starting to dribble out of my cunt, but that was nothing compared to the jangling sound that then rippled through the room. Jangling? Doug didn't say a word, but I could feel him moving around me, and when he lifted one of my hands above my head, my breath began coming out in short, ragged gasps. I want to make sure you stay still for me. I know how animated you can get. I blushed because he was right. The other day, I'd gotten so aroused and moved around so much that we'd almost fallen off the bed. Hearing the clink of the handcuffs as they snapped into place made me all the more turned on. And when he followed suit with the other wrist, I tugged against my restraints. Well, so I'm going to stop you. I've got the gun loaded. There was enough give that I could move slightly, giving the illusion of possible escape, but a sharper tug proved that I was trapped, just as Doug wanted. He must have read my mind because he said, Go ahead, Sherry. Tug all you want. But you're going to stay right there until I'm done fucking you. Whoa. Yeah. And that was a reading from Letters to Penthouse 32, Kinky Sex and Naughty Games. From the editors of Penthouse Magazine. Wow. Bravo. That was good. So, uh, we'll go ahead and take a break, and then we'll be back to talk about Night of Open Sex. Thank you. When I was a kid, I ate a lot of uncooked hot dogs. Me too. <laughs> they, they're, I mean, they're kind of just like Vienna sausages, right? They're already yeah, more kind of cooked. I mean, they are pre-cooked. They're not like unsafe to eat. No, they're not raw, but they're delicious. Slimy. If you you can get rid of that. You have any hot dogs? No, you, I don't have any hot dogs or sausages or any real tube-shaped meats other than my cock. Hmm. Okay. And it it could well, it could uh, change. Do you ever like a? And that's red hot. You don't have any Vienna sausages. <laughs> no. Any any deviled ham? No, no. I don't think I have any canned meat. Potted? No. Yeah. What about like pickled? Do you pickle meats? Pickle herring. You can, you can pickle, pickle meats. meat. You, you can got pick any pickled meat. meats? No. You got any meats at all? I have Bologna? some uh, turkey. Okay. What about skeets? Some ground turkey and some sliced deli turkey. Well, ground turkey's not cooked. No, it's not. You should not eat that. Also, that would make it so I can't make the dinner that I plan to make with it. I'm probably going to eat that dinner, so... No, you're not. What the fuck? It's not tonight's dinner. It's another night's dinner. That's fucked up. It's it's a, an amount of meat for two people, not for three or four people. I'm moving in. Oh, Shit. <laughs> my steam my, my deck went offline. Hold on, here we oh, go. Hang on. Okay. That's how the people feel about this. Talk about this fucking movie. Which cause... cat sleeps on your face? Uh none of them. Alright, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm sleeping. <laughs> 
So, Night of Open Sex opens on some footage taken from a driving car to dreamy guitar music. We see a silhouette of the driver, but no detail to tell who it is. Then we smash cut to a nightclub performance, because this is a Jess Franco film, after all. We see lights flashing, and Lena Lena Romay, who plays Moira... Lena Moray, the famous eel. <laughs> Lena Romay, who plays Moira, is in the front seat of a car gyrating. We continue to cut back to the car that's driving on a dark road as credits appear. But inside the club, Moira is uh, more festive and the music matches that. She's mopping mo- around. Uh, that's not the music playing, but... But I get to press the button now. Oh, yes. You I'm do debuting, get to press the button. But I'm debuting we'll, the button. We'll, we'll get to that song a little bit more. Moira yells, more, more, more into a microphone. It's not Myra. Moira. 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 M-O-I-R-A. Moira. Moira. You're going to get... I don't know. I don't know what to say. Just go with it. Well, she's yelling more, more, more into a microphone that's attached to the windshield of this car that's on stage as the audience claps along and cheers. Billy Idol. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We don't have cheering. We only have booing and laughter. We're only ever met with derision. (laughs) Do you have exotic kiss? Good enough. Yeah. (laughs) As the music peaks, she starts to scream and it halts. She leans over the windshield of the car collapsed and thrashes around a bit, moaning help, but the music slowly picks up. It's now that Al Crosby appears. So Al Crosby is played by Antonio Mines. Rip to David Crosby. Yeah. Just a quick quick eulogy. He was a yard bird. He was a yard bird. He was in a band with... Stills and Nash and sometimes Young. Yeah. yeah, when Young was on the other side of that album, just like, oh, I'm over here. He gave, I think, his sperm to Melissa Etheridge. Didn't he give his sperm to all kinds of people? Yeah. Isn't it, he a legendary fucker? Probably, but I think he gave his sperm, like, through the lab. Oh, okay. They created scientific children. Yeah, they gave lesbians. it, like, a lot of the coddling. They coddled that sperm to get to where it. The, to her window. Did she drink it? Uh. <laughs> I'm hitting the button and nothing's coming out. Really? Oh, yeah. well, shit. <laughs> uh, None of the button. It's all. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let me uh, it, it's restart whatever. the program. We'll be, we'll be back in moment yeah, we need a here can you here put a, is the picture i'm just gonna cut this part out but d- no oh, I, yeah i don't know how much you raw you leave in perverted porno okay. zones supposed to press a mile of piss to see her pussy that one <laughs> whatever okay so we're back up and running okay well whatever uh sperm it's such a catchy song Oh, yes. it sounds like that fucking soft sell song from, uh, is it Decoded? Decoder? Decoder? Decoder, yeah. Yeah. It's the yeah, sticky streets, sexy somethings, I'm beginning to like you. Same thing. Yeah, I get it. 
Yeah. Awesome. What do you think about it, Yoshi? I love uh, Decoder. It's weird. Decoder was great. We had a good time watching that movie. I was, yeah, I was thinking about Decoder earlier while I was watching this film, which is pretty funny. No, you weren't. I was. That's awesome. Yeah, everything is um, generating psychic power between <laughs> all of us. Like a Mewtwo or a Mew3. There's, Speaking of psychics, just this past Friday on Patreon, we talked about Playboy TV's foursome, where we get to see what a sexual psychic is, and uh, you know, if you pay five dollars a month, you can join our Patreon and find out. Yeah, you can see how accurate they are, or maybe it's all a bust. We're gonna we're doing a debunking. Yes. <laughs> Maybe We're all going to bust one way or another, though. Yeah. It's to be to... a Mew, Mew yep. 4. It's going to pop. Yes, it's going to pop on all Patreon. Right. Anyhow, so so Al Crosby shows up, and Al Crosby is kind of similar to Al Pereira, the detective that shows up in a lot of Jess Franco films uh, and is also played by Antonio Mayans on several occasions, but... Al Crosby is a little less sympathetic and more of a dick than Al Pereira usually is. Does Al Pereira wear a Hawaiian shirt? Uh, I think he might in at least one or two movies. That's just like that fuck from wrestling then, Pereira, who wears the Hawaiian shirt and the dress, like he was in Tits and Ass, TNA. Ferreira? Ferrara? Oh, Uh, Ed Ferrara? Yeah. uh, He was uh, attached to uh, Vince Russo. For a long time, he was his writing partner, but also he did commentary in TNA and was kind of shitty at it. But he also played Oklahoma in WCW, which was there making fun of JR's uh, Bell's Palsy, uh, which was in very bad taste and made uh, Ed Ferrara uh, not popular with people, including uh, Jim Cornette, who I believe got in a fight with him at a TNA taping. I love it. That's awesome. That's beautiful. But anyway, Al Crosby (laughs) uh, shows up in this film, and uh, unlike last week's episode where we talked about Night of Open Sex, Al Crosby, uh, Al Crosby's Antonio Mayans has a glorious mustache. It's big and and uh, bushy. And as you mentioned, he wears a Hawaiian shirt. It's quite a bit like Ace Ventura. Uh, He also likes to steal cigarette butts and light them. Yeah, I knew when I worked at the psych hospital, I knew a lot of, you weren't supposed to let them like light from the butts, but I was like, you guys are all schizophrenic. It doesn't matter. I was like, you guys can just smoke cigarette butts. I don't care. Uh, I mean, why uh, not? Al Crosby seems to be at least smoking ones that still have tobacco on them. I mean, these still, you know, people would put them out hastily. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, people would like smoke like one for like 15 seconds and then put it out and light another one because they're insane. Right. Janice Garofalo created a fast burning cigarette in what the hell that movie called? Ben Stiller show. No, not the Ben Stiller show. The high school reunion show movie. Um, not another teen movie? Not Zach and Miri's High School Reunion. Oh, Romy uh, and, and Michelle? Yeah. Or Rochelle? Uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. I never yeah. saw that. Sounds made up. No, I swear to God, she made a fast-burning cigarette so that you could finish a whole cigarette for that reason, so that all the psychopaths can smoke like 30 of those. That's not <laughs> nice. That's sometimes that's the only thing you can smoke. I would light... I had the lighter on my belt, and I would light up so many butts... <laughs> and they're like you're not supposed to do that, and I was like, "But they're not gonna—they're gonna do it anyway." 
Yeah. If they don't get a light off me, they'll just get a light off, like, someone else's lit cigarette. Yeah. Might start up a stove and try to light a cigarette. I did have a, a, a young adult try to start a fire. He took a piece of paper and put it on his lit cigarette and then put it on something, but I reacted calmly and just poured a cup of water over it and, <laughs> and stopped you, the whole thing. You did thing. what Paris Hilton would do and just sat right on it. I just sat on it and put it out with my pussy. <laughs> 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 All right. Drink a mile of piss to see her pussy. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's uh, need to focus here. So Mara <laughs> is continuing to do her nightclub routine. Just to remind everybody. So she lays back on the hood of the car and wags her legs in the air, revealing her pubic hair as the crowd claps. I'd like grease if you saw Olivia Newton-John's pussy hair. Yeah, I would drink a mile of piss just to see her pussy. I would watch that fucking pile of piss just to see her pussy. (laughs) Mara licks her lips and pulls her dress off over her head and reveals her naked body as she's caressing her nipples, writhing and moaning. The crowd cheers along with men shouting about how nasty she is and asking her if she wants some help. Al finishes his cigarette and walks off as Moira is holding her legs open on the car hood and thrusting her pelvis up into the air. It's at this point that we see Moira walking into, I guess, the backstage area. And she's stopped by Vickers. So, From the, Resident Evil 2? The Brad subtitles Vickers. on this film yeah, 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 yeah. refer to him as Victor in the first half and Vickers in the second half. Uh, but he appears to be Vickers, like... or uh, Stephen Thrower labels him Vickers in his book. So it's well, one of those like he, he's British, right? Yeah, that's just yeah, that's regional. But uh, I'm going to refer Vickers. to him as Vickers. Yeah, Brad uh, Vickers. I'm Brad. I saw Vickers Nickers. <laughs> Don't forget your Nickers, Vickers. <laughs> Well, Vickers we saw watching her earlier, and he startles her when he pops out of nowhere, but this doesn't stop her from passionately making out with him. He tells... popping. Oh, also. It's gonna pop. (laughs) That's Teller's favorite. (laughs) He tells her he he should see that scene, because it's even funnier in context. Yeah, it's an amazing film. Uh, Next time we hang out at your house, we'll watch some pornography. Sweet. Okay. I've got access. Yeah, yeah. Too naughty to say no. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely too naughty to say no. Bosses, or Tyler's going to be too naughty to say no when... uh, Hey, uh, can you get G-String Divas? I'll see. That type of stuff I found is kind of difficult to find. That stuff, that's the funnest stuff to watch. It's on Showtime or HBO. Either or, I don't remember. I know that I've noticed, like, earlier today I was looking, and HBO Max has zero of the HBO late night content on it. That's bullshit. HBO Go, for a while, did have some of it, at least. But HBO Max has zero percent of it. HBO, you're right. Uh, Showtime has a few of their quote-unquote late-night things on it, like Gigolos is on there and a few other series. Streaming services used to just be better. Back in the day, you could find uh, softcore pornography on uh, Netflix. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would find Jess Franco films and, uh, oh, who's that girl in uh, Thriller? I don't know. I don't know. Cruel Picture. Uh, oh, thr- uh, Christina Lindbergh. Yeah, there was uh, Christina Lindbergh. I thought you were talking Michael Jackson's Thriller for no, a second. It's John Land. It's Joanna Man, that Landis. That movie's so awesome. 
Yeah, I haven't seen Thriller yet, but uh, it's. I mean, it's it's bleak is what it's I've heard. bleak because it's very rapey and kind of disturbing. But when it gets to the revenge part of the rape revenge, it's fucking awesome. After- There's a bunch of like just slow mo shots of her blasting people away and stuff. It's yeah. You can tell that, like, you can tell for sure that Quentin Tarantino ripped it off for Kill Bill. Uh huh. uh, Which Kill Bill is a little rapey, but not nearly as rapey as Thriller is. But, like. The pussy wagon guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But still, it's. It's like this movie, it kind of blew me away. That's to say, Christina Lindbergh used to. You used to be able to find Christina Lindbergh films on Netflix. Yeah. Including. uh, some softcore stuff like Made in Sweden. Okay. Good times. Uh, but now... The wild, is, wild West that used to be the... Now that is to say streaming's been you know sanitized. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dr. Oz. Yeah. <laughs> right? Thanks, thanks, Metallica. Yeah, thanks, Metallica. <laughs> thanks, Lars. Yeah, thanks, Lar- Dr. Lars. Man, I, I still... my One of my favorite things ever is still... Uh, Lars's dad listening to them recording that stuff for Saint Anger and being like, uh, you know, some songs you delete, and I think this song you delete. <laughs> 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 and Lars getting so pissed off about it. It was no. Yeah, it's you know? not anything like that Euro Club hit. Yeah. Uh, I love Bajas like trash are we, music. Are we still like on the first scene? So yeah. Uh, <laughs> Vickers tells uh, Mara that she can make 5000 on a job that he has. So she just immediately responds, well, who do I have to kill? And he asks her if she accepts then, and she notes she'll do anything for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Al watches as Vickers and Mara take off in a car, and he follows them in his own car. We cut from the dusky skies of before to a shot in the daytime. Apparently he's been following them for a while as Al follows Vickers and Mara uh, in their car. They stop in front of the gate of a house and Vickers enters the gate in the house as Mara waits in the car. We see Al park his car down the street as he's keeping watch on what's happening. We cut to a shot inside and a woman's typing on a typewriter. She hears a knock at the door and checks her watch for the time, thinking it's an odd time for company. She asks who it is when she hears the knock at a door, and uh, Vickers yells that the general sent me. So the woman answers the door and seems happy to see Vickers there, but Vickers then strikes her multiple times, knocking her out and laying her on the couch. Yeah, like that. (laughs) We then cut to that woman restrained by Moira, as Vickers is interrogating her, asking where she's been going at dawn. Vickers tells Mara to go get the curling iron because the woman's not answering. We then see close-ups of the woman's bush as she writhes around and struggles. You'll see, Tyler. Don't worry. She has red in her teeth. Apparently her mouth is bleeding. Yeah, that's a... I don't think it was anything he did. That's just gingivitis. (laughs) (laughs) That's goat goat mouth. (laughs) So, Got a bad case of goat mouth? Got yeah. a bad case of goat mouth. My gums won't stop bleeding. <laughs> yeah. Mara uh. then walks in and pulls a curling iron out of her bag and plugs it in. She slowly moves it towards the woman as she repeatedly says no. 
She claims she knows nothing again and again, and so Moira, apparently off-screen, shoves the curling iron into the woman's vagina as the camera pulls away. Yeah, it's red hot. Wow. Yeah. That's just like the sleepaway camp scene, but you, you probably see that more in yeah. this one. Yeah. The woman screams out, and we see the iron being pulled away, which they use an interesting effect here where there's clearly something burning below the frame, Yeah, and we see smoke flying up mm-hmm. as if she's been burnt by it. Yes. Uh, uh, that's better. A rare, Some rare attention to detail. Yes. Uh, the woman's asked again where she's been going at dawn, and she repeatedly says she knows nothing, but she's burnt again, and this time we see the action a little bit better. Vickers says he's going to see the general and asks where she's been meeting him. Moira continues to burn the woman's vagina more, and finally she agrees to answer. She explains the general is injured and asks her to go see him. She mentions that the general's a distant relative of hers, Mm -hmm. and there's half of a picture in her room that's to be used as a password. She says the general was going to give her, but she stops in the middle of that sentence, having passed out, if not died altogether. I think she's dead. Moira then undresses and she takes died. the woman's robe and follows Vickers out to the car, leaving the woman naked on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> we see Vickers driving Moira again, and Vickers explains that Moira needs to pose as that woman whose name was Tina Krause. Drink a mile of piss to see her pussy. You just did. You saw it get burned up. Uh, Vickers notes that Mara looks a lot like Tina. We then cut to Al Crosby, who's following their uh, trail of destruction. He walks into Tina's house and walks in to find her on the couch. Uh, In response, he takes a cigarette out of the ashtray and lights it up, noting that this scene is quite brutal. Vickers says that he'll be paying Mara the $5,000 soon. She asks how much he's making, and he only tells her a lot if this goes as planned. So Vickers pulls up in front of a house, and Mara gets out and knocks on the glass door to the house. A man answers, a goon, and uh, Mara says she like wants a, to like see a gooner, the general. Like, like a gooner? A man uh, of goons? No, just, you know, a general uh, criminal uh, lackey. Not a guy who, like, masturbates for, like, hours and hours on end. Oh, is that a gooner? I believe so. I a dragooner. I've yeah. heard the term gooning in yeah. reference to weird videos online, so I guess that makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah. I just learned something. Yeah, let's, we're mostly, that's why we're filed under educational. Okay, so let's let's take a step back and get more educational. So is gooning the act of just masturbating for hours? Well, let's see what the Urban or is Dictionary says. just being says. a goony person? And then that's mm. how you start to begin to goon. Well, obviously there's personality types that are drawn to gooning. That's fair. Is it is it like is gooning edging, or um, is it more specific than that? I don't like that the definition the definition on Urban Dictionary for gooning is a paragraph long. Okay, well read the paragraph anyway. Oh my fucking god! <sighs> it's irrelevant. 
Gooning may be most simply defined as that state usually achieved after a prolonged edging session. Okay. When a man becomes completely hypnotized by the feeling radiating... Get your fucking elbow off my laptop. Radiating his penis. Okay. (laughs) Since a gooning state can only be achieved after edging, the man's dick will have to become mightily aroused at this point. And every... Every caress the male genitals are subjected to will trigger potent elation. Bye, buddy. I love you. Oh, is he leaving? I guess so. I thought he was going to the bathroom. I thought he was just getting a drink or something. Oh, Oh, well. well. Okay. There goes Tyler. Keep going. Uh, (laughs) As the man keeps edging and thus keeps experiencing intense pleasure, he enters a state of of trance. Oh. Where his mind intimately merges with his cock. Oh. The gooning state, where he and his dick become one. Oh. To be even more accurate, when the gooning state is achieved, the man's body becomes, for all intents and purposes, an appendage to his erection. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's that That clarifies things. So, it's related to edging, but it in itself is not edging. It's becoming one with your boner. Yeah, and to where, like, yeah... Edging is required in order to become a goon. A goon. <laughs> yeah, and that's what this guy did. I think. Yes, I think he was masturbating for hours on end. Okay, good. But not finishing. No, yeah. Okay. So this goon answers, and uh, Mara, uh, playing the role of Tina, says she wants to see the general introducing herself again as Tina. So uh, she's led upstairs, and uh, the general's goon confirms that the general is injured. And that's why he requested Tina. So, Mara is brought in to see the general, who seems to be clutching a wound in his chest. It's weird because uh, it seems like he's been, like, shot in the chest or something. Mm-hmm. But apparently, like, he he's asked Tina to come over, and she's just sitting there typing on her typewriter. He's just freely bleeding. <laughs> so, uh... The general breathes heavily, noting that he hasn't seen her since she was a child. He asks to see the photo that she brought with her, and Moira produces what appears to be a page from a porno mag, and uh, but it's ripped in half. The general points her to a blue book nearby on a shelf, and he has her open it to find the other half of the page. And in fact, it's a photo of Tina Krauss from the magazine. Of course, the general doesn't examine it, so he doesn't notice that the woman in front of him isn't Tina. He rambles a bit about how his brother uh, betrayed him, but asked Moira if she can read musical notes. The general notes that half of his secret is in that book, and she should look at the underlined words in the book. Then he asks where he should send the other half of his secret. She specifies, uh, I think it's Mandala, which is the club that she works at. Yes. He seems a bit suspicious at that, and she explains that she works there. He then starts to grill her with questions, and finally he declares that Moira is not Tina Klaus. In response, Moira rushes forward just as the general draws his gun. She fights with him to pull the gun away, and then she covers his mouth, apparently smothering him. Mm. Moira is stopped by the general's goon as she rushes out of the place. Who asks if everything's okay, which she answers affirmatively. He had to stop masturbating for a moment. (laughs) 
Uh, Mara rushes into Vicar's car, telling him to hurry, adding that she thinks she killed him. So they speed off. We then cut to Al Crosby showing up in the general's room. The general is not dead. He's still breathing, mm-hmm. though labored. So Al puts a pillow over his head and shoots him dead. Yes. Not with a silencer. I guess you wouldn't need it if you need a pillow, but uh, there's no there's no shot really fired. I think there's like a sound effect maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at best. But uh, as he walks out of the room, he runs into the goon who has stopped masturbating for a moment <laughs> to try to intercept Al. Uh, but he dispatches the goon as well. That's it for him. It's at that point that we cut to the hottest track of the 80s. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, that song exactly. So, apparently this song first appeared in the film Cocktail Special, which was one of uh, Jess Franco's, I think it might have been a hardcore film at the late 70s. Okay, I thought maybe it was a a parody of... uh, Oh, who's that freaky Scientologist? Tom, the Tom Cruise film, Cocktail. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if that was out quite yet. No, it was a little earlier. So really, Cocktail is more of a take on Cocktail Especial. Oh, yes. Uh, but on stage, we see Moira, who's dragging her fingers across the pages of porno mags as the song's playing. She. But, but wait, you're saying that this song debuted in another film? Yes. Another Jess Franco film. Right, right. No. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. He's a, a true talent. Yes, he is. Yeah. I so, miss Tyler. I'm going to turn his mic off, though, so we're not just picking up loose sounds. So. <laughs> I think he, he died, right? I think Tyler died. I sure he's he's on the floor, not moving. <laughs> he did have, like, a beer and, like, uh some bourbon and then just drive away so yeah. <laughs> hopefully he's all right he mixed oh, it with, he mixed up with coke or something it looks gross it does look gross i'm, I'm gonna not drink, drink it all you're gonna drink it i, I ran out of my bourbon okay, so well, you I, drink after i thought about it but it looked gross i've seen him throw up before so i'm not drinking after him <laughs> i assume he didn't throw up in the cup and that's enough for me to be i able assume to drink he just, just a little spit back every time <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you take your chances uh, but yeah, uh, Mara's licking a picture of a cock on one of the porn magazines and then licks the vagina on another magazine. She continues this, and we cut away to see that this is another one of her erotic performances, and she's getting a great response from the crowd. She really is for what this is. She sets down the magazines and reveals her breasts, caressing her nipples to applause. She pulls her pants off as well to great response. So we then see an unnamed character played by Tony Skios, a.k.a. Antonio uh, Rebos, or whatever his name is, uh, who played Flanagan in Sex is Crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is not named in this film. No. Uh, he's watching the performance with a blonde who also is not named, but apparently she is another performer at this club who... Uh, has at least a working relationship with Moira. Sure. Tony asks this blonde if uh, they can ask Moira to join them at their table, and uh, the blonde says yes. Meanwhile, Moira continues to thrash around naked to this hot sperm track. 
Al Crosby. Are is... you mad? <laughs> I'm sorry, I fat, I fat fingered that one. <laughs> Al Crosby is back at the club watching as Mara is fingering herself face down as she waves her ass back and forth on stage. Uh, Tony's impressed by this performance as Mara rolls over and seems to be having a violent orgasm. She eventually finishes and falls still as the crowd chants her name over and over again. We then see Mara joining Tony and the blonde at his table. Tony invites Mara over to his place and she invites Tony to hers. She notes to the blonde at the table that their boss is mad that she hasn't been around, but Mara leaves to get dressed. When Mara shows up in her dressing room, she finds Al Crosby there, telling her that he's going to offer her some Japanese watch. As he has her distracted with the watch, he then pistol whips Mara to knock her out. He carries her out the window, uh, and as he is, somebody's banging on the door asking Mara to open it, so Al answers in a falsetto voice. We then cut to a shot of a beach with people walking and jogging along. And then we cut to Al Crosby, who's carrying a paper bag of alcohol into a hotel room where Mara is tied up to the bed with her mouth duct tape. Mm-hmm. Al explains that he has to talk with her, uh, noting that that's why he abducted her. He asks if she'll promise that she won't scream if he removes the duct tape. She shakes her head no, so Al just turns up the radio, which appears to be playing the jammy parts of The Taste of Your Sperm. It does, and it's also just a radio built right into the wall of this hotel. Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, he turns like a dial on the wall, and then the music comes up. and He tells know. her that it's going to drown out her screams, which I'm skeptical of. Uh, but I just want to say, I wish we still had radios in the walls. Yeah, that's one thing we're missing from the 80s in Europe, apparently. Yeah, that was probably, yeah, I'm sure you can find some dirty, like, hotel in Spain that hasn't been updated since the the Franco era that has the radio in the wall. Yeah. But in America, we don't get that kind of experience. I'm going to get so rich that I can hire somebody to build a radio in my wall I that so. I will then never use. I hope so, buddy. <laughs> so Al gags Mara with an apple regardless. And uh, tells her to answer yes or no by shaking her head as he asks her questions. He asks her about Tina Krause and the book and Vickers and the general. And she acts like she knows nothing at first. And finally says that Vickers offered her $5,000 to do a job and she merely followed him. Al is not happy with this answer. But notes that she's hot so he's going to fuck her while she's here. Yeah. She is not pleased with this, but Al undresses and mounts her, thrusting into her as uh, he takes a bite out of the fruit in Mara's mouth. Yeah, it's good to get a little snack to keep your energy up when you're doing your uh, rapes. So we immediately cut from this rape to (laughs) Mara blowing Al on a balcony. She's now very happy with Al and uh, comes up asking him if her place is better than that shitty hotel. Uh, this indeed took a turn pretty fast. Yeah, no. I think it was all um, it was all just a play. They then relax in lounge chairs and quietly reflect. Al asks her if she knows more, and she says she doesn't. Mara says she'd love to help him, and Al asks if she'd like to be his partner. He knows that he could pay her more than that pig Vickers. 
Mara says she has a confession. She's never really had a great time with a man before. Al doesn't believe her, but he kisses her and tells her he'll see her tomorrow, for business. So Al takes off, and Mara glares in his direction before finishing her drink and walking inside herself. We see her inside naked, and she lights a cigarette and lays in bed. And it's at this point that the unnamed character played by Tony Skios walks in. Mara asks what he's doing here, and Tony notes that they had a date. Mara apologizes and said that she had an unexpected thing to do, and Tony notes he just saw that unexpected thing leaving. Though, he's not jealous. Mara gets up and makes out with Tony as he rubs her ass, still holding the lit cigarette. Mara lays down and then sits back up as Tony approaches the bed. She rubs her teeth against his pants, and then he drops his pants, and she rubs her teeth against his underwear. Once he drops those, she carefully does the same to his soft cock, rubbing her teeth against it. After a bit, he buries his face in her muff and then kisses and licks his way up Mara's body. We watch Al then approach Mara's door, smoking a cigarette, to the sounds of Tony nailing Mara as she calls him her beast, her tiger, her Tarzan. Yeah, that becomes a a popular nickname. Indeed. Al walks away, and then we hear Mara's screams of ecstasy as we fade out. We then cut back to the club. Mara works at, uh, I think it's Mandala. She's performing a show with her blonde friend that had been seen with Tony earlier. Their show involves a lot of tongue-touching and rubbing their breasts together. They take turns caressing each other to sax-filled poppy jazz. Vickers and Al are watching from the crowd. Al approaches Vickers for a light. Victor asks why Al's smoking a cigarette, but Al explains that a whole one just has no flavor. Yeah, you gotta get those secondary flavors from uh, the first person who smoked it. <laughs> right. Commands the nicotine and the, the neat flavor profile. Yeah. Depending on the smoker. <laughs> well, it turns out that they know who each other are and uh, make a point that they don't like each other. Mm-hmm. Vickers asks why Al's been following him, and Al explains someone hired him to kill Vickers. And then, right there in the club... He knifes Vickers, and he's dead. Yeah, he's gone. He's just like, check, please, and uh, he's, yeah. he's out. <laughs> yeah, Al tells the bartender that Vickers was going to pay for his drinks, but he passed out. So the bartender says, oh, I'll take care of that, and Al leaves. So on stage, Mara is being eaten out by her friend, and uh, it's at this point that the members of the crowd figure out that Vickers is dead and respond in uh, panic. But we see Mara return to her dressing room to find a note. It says, A post-mortem souvenir from Von Klaus. Mara is startled by this, and probably also the man who's banging on her door asking to be let in. Who's Von Klaus? Is that that the general? I think maybe it's the general, based on context, because nobody else is introduced as Von Klaus. And the general's definitely Germanic, because he's all about a new Nazi order, as we'll find out in the future. Oh, I thought it was a general from those commercials. Oh, the general insurance that Shaq is uh, apparently a uh, sponsor of? Yeah, he, he has that. That's the one he uses. Well, if you think about it, so Shaq is the promoter for Papa John's these days, and we all know that he's a racist. Mm hmm. 
and the general being a Nazi and Shaq promoting it, that all matches up. I think Shaq was get-outed by some other Nazi. Do you think Shaq was the second shooter on the grassy knoll? No, he's too tall. They would have caught him immediately. (laughs) That's a good point. Uh. So anyhow, Mara escapes out the window and leaves the building, but is immediately chloroformed by Tony Skios and her blonde friend, who pull her into a car and drive off. But it's worth noting that Mara was carrying something wrapped in a brown paper bag, and she drops it when she's chloroformed, and nobody picks it up. Al Crosby, on the other hand, was watching all of this, and so he walks up and picks up what she was carrying, that brown bag, and walks off. So a 40 ounce? No, it appears to be a book or multiple books. Oh. I found a book of, uh, it's like an encyclopedia of chess moves. <laughs> <laughs> it was indecipherable to me. I don't know how that game works. <laughs> do you, like, do you know how to play chess? No, there's in a general? knight. Okay. And a rook. I know how to play it. I don't know how to play it well, though. Like, I know how to get through a game, but I would lose to anybody who's any good at it. Maybe you can teach me, and then I would get good, and I would beat you. Maybe. We'll we'll do that for Patreon. We'll, we'll do an hour-long us playing chess episode. Okay. To uh, announce my moves. Uh, I, I just want to add that we're not going to do that on Patreon to any... Perspective Patreon subscribers. I'm going <laughs> to use the anal beads to get uh, move information. To, to, to be, I'm going to use the Bluetooth anal beads. People are going to vibrate them and it'll send information to me. Oh, I yeah. know what you're referencing. Yeah, now. yeah. Now you get it. Yeah, that was an interesting story where somebody was uh, getting information from the remote control anal beads. Was it true? I don't know, but it's crazy enough that I have to want to believe it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it's true. I'm going to stop this cat. Okay. Well, elsewhere, Tony and the blonde are smacking Moira around, asking where the books are, and threatening to rip off her tits. Al Crosby shows up with a gun and demands that Moira come with him as he tells the other two not to move. So Al carries Mara off and leaves. We then cut to Mara, who's laying on a bamboo couch as Al is reading. She's kind of knocked out, but she then comes to asking where she is and who he is. So Al introduces himself again as Al Crosby and says that they're at his friend's house. Mara is in pain, but uh, the kisses that Al gives her seems to help. She asks what his friend's name is, and Al says he'll find out. And it's at that point that we see Al approach the Count of Villan, who is played by Uncle Jess himself, Jess Franco. Excellent. uh, Who is restrained on a couch and protesting his treatment. But uh, as he complains a bunch, Al just pistol whips him. (laughs) Afterwards, Al tells Moira that the place belongs to a nice count. Al says it's time to decode the general's message, pointing at the nearby books, but Moira is instead very horny, Mm -hmm. noting she's never fucked in a count's house before, so they sink down to the floor with Moira on top of Al. Moira asks if he'll be upset if she rapes him. He seems 
not to be uh, upset with this particular idea, so she excitedly takes off his pants, and we briefly see that she's not anywhere near his dick as uh, she starts to work on him. Al does glance at the nearby books a bit as this is going on, but Mara's work indeed eventually distracts him, with him demanding her to keep doing it when she stops. Is this the, uh, this is the not a blowjob blowjob? Yes, she starts to suck his cock in quotation marks, but we see very clearly that she's not. No, his pants are still on. Yes. Yes, there's, uh, there's nothing there happening at all. Yes, in fact, his pants are still on when she mounts Al Cowgirl. Uh, But as she's apparently riding him, she calls Al her beast, her tiger, her Tarzan, just as she did to uh, Tony Skios' character. Uh Al says that she says that to all the men, having heard that before. She asks how he knows that as she seemingly orgasms and collapses on top of him. And ultimately, he doesn't have to answer the question. After they finish, Al suggests they start working now, and Mara finally agrees, laughing. The Count, Jess Franco, starts yelling for help again, though he's still gagged. So Al and Mara work to decode the message through some strange, unexplained process. Uh, The General had noted that there were some underlined words in his book, so I guess they were just listing out the different words. Yes. But apparently there was like a second book, which... I don't think was explained before. But anyway, we get to that later. Um I'm trying to remember if they mentioned it or not, but yes. Well, he said that half of the code was in that book. And then, the other and half then was he like was going to send the other half to her. But I don't think he ever specified where the other half was. No. There was mention of musical notes. Yes. And uh that's the last I remember. Yeah. So anyway, Al comes to the Count who keeps yelling, and uh, Pistol whips him again, knocking him out. Uh, We get to see, as Mara is just laying naked on the floor, uh, we get a camera shot of her vagina as as the camera just kind of roams through some plants and lands on a close-up. The words they come up with out of this book don't seem to make any sense, so then they look at another book and get some words. So I guess the other book is the other half of the code, although we didn't really get any explanation of that. This continues for a bit with more shots of Moira's vagina as they're just laying around and saying a bunch of words. They end up at a place called the Old Finger of God, based off of some of the words that were in the second book. Mm -hmm. So Al thinks that what they're looking for might be somewhere nearby. They sit on a wall and spot a large w- rock that looks like a finger, and I believe that is the titular old finger of God. Mm-hmm. Where is this geographically, do you know? Somewhere in Spain, I'm sure, but I don't know exactly where. A note that uh, I noted in my notes that the first, uh, during the first club scene, she the car she was in had Hawaii plates. <laughs> yeah. And then there's quite a few, like, palm trees and such throughout the scene. So I wondered if this one had been filmed in Hawaii. Because Spain, I feel like when you see it, especially if you go back to last week, Sex is Crazy, 
Right. I feel like Spain's often a lot more brown. Not as many trees. But uh, I see that you've, you're have you referencing a book. Uh, to- Stephen Thrower in Flowers of Passion says, Liar. This is probably the most lavish of the Golden Films productions, with numerous outdoor locations shot in the Canary Islands in Spain. Okay, alright. I forget they have little islands and stuff. Most striking is El Dido de Dios, God's Finger, an unusual rock structure located near Puerto de las Nieves in the northern region of Gran Canaria. Sadly, the finger, one of the most ancient parts of the island at around 14 million years old, was damaged in November 2005 when the top broke off and fell into the sea during a heavy storm. The secret lair of Von Klaus, uh, which we'll get to in a moment, mm-hmm. is represented by the fantastical interior staircases of the Mirala Roja, part of La Manzaria in Calpe near Alcentia, first seen in uh, the Perverse Countess. Okay, I thought Countess the, Perverse. Right? No, yeah, the uh, it looked familiar. I don't know if they quite used. The staircase that's in this, I don't exactly remember that, but uh, as in most Franco scene setting, it's quite striking. Yeah, no, the staircase is in Countess Perverse as okay. she enters the uh, the place of the the most dangerous game. Oh dick. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, while I'm while I'm here, let's just go ahead and go through it. Uh, the Mandala. Uh, club that she works at is an Indian restaurant. <laughs> okay, certainly. Uh, which I think is just the outside of the place is an Indian restaurant. Uh, the same audience footage reoccurs time and again in early 1980s films that Franco kept reels of uh, and used this multiple times. It's a restaurant? I love Indian food. <laughs> It is delicious. It's been a while since I've eaten Indian food. Let's get some Indian tonight. We'll work on that. Okay. So we see Moira and Al at a table of a restaurant pondering clues. Moira asks what they're looking for, and Al isn't sure, but he thinks the general may have hidden ten million from the Nazis. I thought that this meant that what? he was Well, it doesn't say in the subtitles at least. Um, but it is worth noting that he says 10 million from the Nazis. And I thought that he was hiding money away from the Nazi party, but I think he might be hiding money that the Nazis had. Yes. Yeah. I think you've, that's right. Which we later hear based off of the general's recorded message we hear. Uh, we cut to Al nailing Moira again on the bamboo couch inside the, uh, count's place. She notes that he never takes his shirt off, referring to his uh, Hawaiian shirt. Then, after calling him Tarzan more, has a realization. She says that they should try mixing up the words from the two books to come up with their answer. But first, he needs to finish pounding her. And indeed he does. So after they finish, we cut to them walking through a rocky area. And they end up with... uh, This from both books combined. Warm night of golden sex, like pale old gold through the thickness, finger pointing to the music, 
to the house that hides the red, downhill like blood from hearts. So they're looking for a house near some thick vegetation in this area. But meanwhile, we also see that up in the sky is a helicopter driven by uh, Tony Skios's character uh, as he's riding along with his blonde friend. And they're apparently tracking Alan Moira. Alan Moira spot the helicopter and seem to move a bit more stealthily, although uh, this doesn't really do them much good. So they find the house that seems to fit the clue, but Tony and the blonde also get eyes on the house. We then see Al and Mara inside the house. Again, we saw the inside in Countess Perverse. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're greeted by a recorded message from the general, who is uh, speaking to his niece, who he thought would be there, Tina Krause. The general notes that only a smart Germanic mind could solve the puzzle that he created. And this treasure will help the new Nazi movement. He notes that now she only needs to read the musical notes. So they enter a room with a very small electric organ and some sheet music. The voice explains that this should be easy because she can read music. The general's message ends with, Good luck! Heil Hitler! Yes. (laughs) Thankfully, Mara can read music and looks at the sheet and notices that this should be a pretty easy song to play. So she plays... Composition by Franz Liszt. Yes. So she plays and we hear some clicks and a painting finally moves to reveal a bunch of bars of gold. Who, from one angle, look pretty real, but from the opposite angle that we see, look to be very clearly just something wrapped in gold foil. Mm Mm-hmm. Moira screams out that they're rich, and Al notes that he's always been broke, but now, look at this. Al notes that it makes him horny to look at all of this, and Moira demands that Al fuck her, here, in this Nazi's house. It'll be a new experience, not even in the Kama Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> so they retreat to the nearby couch and undress. Yes. Um, Moira... I think it should be said about the gold bars, depending on what angle you look at them... They look real to uh, just like something wrapped in gold foil. Yes. Yes. Did you say that? Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so Mara goes to ride uh, Al, cowgirl. Yes. But he stops her and says that she should turn around into reverse cowgirl so they can both look at the gold bars that's, as she's riding him. I mean, that's just smart. You know, you want to keep your eye on the ball. Unfortunately... Tony and the blonde show up, making their way inside. Tony pulls out his gun and apologizes for interrupting their activities. He tells them to get up, but Al says, well, we can't right now. So uh, Mara suggests, well, there's enough gold here for us all. Tony admits that, well, all we did was follow you. So he agrees, telling the blonde to take half of the gold. He throws her a bag to toss it all in. While Mara is happy with this, Al's face seems to be pretty heartbroken. Tony tells Mara and Al to have a nice time as he and the blonde leave with half the gold. Mara asks if Al thinks that's enough, and he seems displeased, but Mara starts thrusting up and down again on his cock, and he seems much happier. Yes. I will see the gold... I googled it. The gold bars... Uh Uh-huh. 
uh, typically weigh about 30 pounds each. Yes. And she just carries them out, like half of them out, just on her hands. <laughs> uh, well, she she's thrown a bag to carry them in, but still, that's probably like... If she takes bare minimum, those, like two hundred pounds of yeah. stuff to she's, carry out. She, but she's got them. She just cradles them, gently <laughs> like a child. Yeah. Uh, so as Mara's thrusting up and down on Al's cock, the camera zooms into Mara's bush, which obviously isn't being penetrated at this point. But she yells out Tarzan more and more, and then we finally get Finn on the screen, <laughs> and the film ends. Wow. And that was Night of Open Sex. Some it was beautiful. It was beautiful. So we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be back to give our final thoughts on Night of Open Sex. There's a three-fifths compromise. Uh, oh, wait, hold on. There you go. Yeah, I can't even mention it without getting booed, as, <sighs> as I should. Um, but this film, it's a whole film to me. Indeed, so it's time once again. Oh. I needed it. Well, once again, it's time for... The Raincoat Review. <laughs> there we go. Perfectly timed. This time we got it. Uh, and this time, what we have here is a film that uh, I feel more qualified to review. Okay. Uh, we have something here that's a little more uh, uh, comprehensible to uh, to the watching audience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not entirely, but uh, we're on more familiar uh, Franco ground here. I would say that, like, for an average film, it's not necessarily like the most straightforward thing. But for a Franco film, it's pretty. Yeah, yeah, you get it. Um, that involves uh, an erotic dancer, some uh, some international intrigues, an erotic caper of sorts. Yeah, an erotic. Th- we can call it an erotic thriller if we're being pretty generous. Sure, if you found yourself thrilled at any time. Uh, you know, occasionally I found myself, um, I had like a little heart monitor on and it would go up just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, no, uh, it, I think it's a pretty uh, typical late period Franco film. Uh, sometimes the details are scant in terms compared to just him getting the uh, images and ideas he wants on screen. Sure. Uh, I'd call it mid-period. Mid-period, 1983? Well, I mean, late period. He was making movies until, like, 2013. That's fair. Okay, mid-period Franco film, we'll say. Uh, It's it's typical, I think, of that period. Yeah. Uh, It's a funny film in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't think it's meant to be necessarily a comedy, but... The fact that the sex is just so obviously fake. Yeah. Uh, 
Especially the blowjob scene. I will say that it's probably meant to have some humor to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but obviously, yeah, I think that the uh, fakeness of the sex was probably not intentional in the no. way that sex is crazy had a lot of intentional decisions yes, to make the film weird. Certainly, yeah. We have a short conversation uh, between episodes about whether or not everything he'd ever done was intentional. And you <laughs> told me that was giving him too much credit, which I think you're right. Yeah, probably. Uh, this one has a, a bit of a a mix of uh, his different strands. There's a theoretic part. There's a kind of uh, a bit that's like a, a thriller adventure film yeah uh though i think this one's kind of light on the adventure you kind of get there more or less by accident yeah uh, it's, it's more of an erotic film with like adventure to just advance the story yeah there are a lot more adventurous e jess franco films yeah definitely but uh what you get out of it is is a it's an interesting amalgam of some ideas he'd had before like Mary Cookie and the, uh, the spiders from Mars. <laughs> uh, Mary Cookie and the killer tarantula. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where it's kind of set around these erotic uh, stage shows and there's little bits of action. It had a, some sure. of that kind of resonance to it. But it's a, it's an, obviously an earlier version of that because that was like, what, 95 or something? Like early 90s, mid 90s. Mid 90s, yeah. probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some stuff like that where it's it's recognizably a Franco film. Like even if it didn't have I think Lena Romay and Antonio Mayans in it, if you saw the same plots and uh Yeah situations that he creates, you'd be like, Okay, this is a Franco film. Uh I do like that there's some interesting like Nazi exploitation that kinda comes in. Yeah, a little bit. Not really like Nazi exploitation in the sense of like being like a concentration camp like erotic film, but just using like legends about Nazi gold and stuff like that to kind of yeah. further the film, which is sort of interesting considering Spain's own fascist history. Yeah, to go with the Nazis when you could have just gone with Franco, but sure, that might have caused a little more controversy at home. Yeah, at the, especially at the time because he hadn't been dead for like more than like maybe like a decade at that point. Sure, and and I mean at this point, most of Jess's films from Golden Films are primarily playing in Spain. Mm -hmm. So if he did anything that like Spain had absolutely opened up as far as uh, their contents uh, restrictions mm -hmm. are concerned, but I think that Jess probably wasn't going to make something overly controversial yeah, nothing too antagonistic because yeah. uh you don't want to rile up fascists too much they get violent real fast yeah and i'm sure that the people actually financing his films would be upset if the yeah. films couldn't play in theaters and make their money yeah. back but uh so it does create that i do really like the layer setting at the end yeah it would have been interesting if this film had followed had kind of focused on them like going to like a trap filled layer i know that's kind of like a flight of fancy on my part but the way it's kind of set up with the recorded message and things like that mm -hmm. it reminds me of uh beyond the seventh door a little bit i was just thinking of that when you yeah. said like a series of traps <laughs> like that would be a very interesting erotic franco film yeah uh we didn't get that but 
what we do get is a interesting film. It's definitely not my favorite Franco film. Sure. Uh, it doesn't traffic in my favorite tropes. And I do think that a lot of the stage show scenes kind of just kind of, uh, pad the time a little bit longer like sure i think this is a film that an hour and like 17 minutes or so i think you could have got through it yeah uh but that said i do enjoy it i would give it probably about three stars i think it's uh if you're watching franco films it's one to check out um I, from this mid 80s period um uh, i do enjoy it more than some of the other erotic films we've covered Sure. Uh, I liked it more than what, Cries of Pleasure. Okay. Yeah, I know you like that one a lot, but I think I enjoyed this one uh, a little bit more, just some of the trappings. Okay. Uh, I like Al Crosby as a character. Yeah. He's just kind of an unsympathetic jerk who will just stab <laughs> you in the middle of a club. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think that this film... It's it's got it's got a lot going for it. It's not it's certainly not Jess's best film. It's certainly not like a all-time great film, but at the end of the day, I think it's a very good example of what Jess Franco was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. I would say that I like Cries of Pleasure better than this one personally, mm-hmm. but I think that this is a fun little little caper. Right. Uh, it you is know. a caper, isn't it? The fact is that it's not like... Jess Franco making this film kept him from making any other film because he made a million films. Right. So uh, I'm happy that he made this film. I'm happy that I watched this film. Yeah, I'm happy about every film he's made. (laughs) Everyone's a pleasure in its own way. I think that this is uh, Lena Romay at her most attractive. Oh, yeah. No, she's definitely... She looks great in this. Um, Um, And I think that Antonio Mayans is... Always a lot of fun. He's he's uh, committed to his roles for better or for worse, and yeah. uh, you know he's along for the ride. Um, I think that the nightclub scenes. I can see what you're saying about them almost padding out the film, but that didn't really bother me at all. No, I um, I think that you know the Nazi plot is just kind of tacked on towards the end of the movie. Right. I mean, there, there's hints of it there's throughout. Hint, yeah, like but, there's some general uh, shenanigans going on throughout. Some, uh, as you said, capers. Yeah, yeah. I, I do appreciate Vickers just getting stabbed to death in the club, and Al just casually walking out yeah. and stuff <laughs> like that. It's a lot of fun. Um, I would say it's not. Jess's best work, but it's it's a solid entry in kind of the the mid range of his output. I would give it, I would give it three and a half. I had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that it was like exceptional, but uh, it was pretty good. I had fun with it. Yeah, I had fun with it. Three and a half stars this weekend. When you're free, when you're not doing much, consider. Uh, Going over to patreon.com slash raincoat report, subscribing for $5 <laughs> yeah. a month, two extra episodes, uh, early access to our normal episode like this one. Yeah. Uh, you want to drop us a line, raincoat report at gmail.com. Yep. Raincoat report on Instagram and Twitter. Tw- Twitter, yeah. Oh, there used to be a Facebook, but not for a few years now. So, uh, 
Does, did you close it down or did you just stop looking at it? I just stopped looking at it, so it stopped existing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so those are the two you can find us at. Just drop us any kind of line. Um, and I love you. Yeah, if you're going to see the finger of God and stand on the rocks at Seaside, yeah. don't forget your raincoat. If you're going to... Um, if you're in search of Nazi treasure, don't forget your raincoat. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's probably in a cave or something. There are a bunch of freaks. It'll be quite a caper regardless. Oh, it's going to be a wet old caper. Yeah, wet caper. Wear yeah. your caper coat. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh.